Tonight I'll begin by saying there's a Celtic holiday this week. I can never pass up a Celtic holiday. Um, the Celtic holiday is known as Samhain or Samwin. And one way to think about it, if you think of the, the ancient Irish thought of the year as going in this great circle with an, uh, the upper part was light and the lower part was dark. And so, of course, on, in this circle, there would be two days that would be essentially on the seams. One is Beltane, May Day, which is crossing from darkness into light. And the other is Samuin, crossing from light into darkness. And in Irish mythology, it said that the, the way they say it is that the veil between the two worlds is thin on these two days. And there would often be stories in Celtic mythology. For example, a hero would go into some section of the forest where he'd never been before and encounter, the, say, the queen of the fairies. The queen of the fairies would invite him to tea. And he'd spend the afternoon at tea with the fairies on the other side. And it would be this magical, enchanting place. And, you know, eventually he would feel like, you know, it's time to go back to the real world. And the fairies would be begging him, no, stay longer, stay longer. But then when he actually goes back to the real world, he finds out that the afternoon he spent with the fairies corresponds to 20 years of ordinary historical time, you know. And so this whole idea of the mythological idea of another side, you know, our, our, our world of logic and real clocks and all that, and then this magical other world, um, really in Jungian terms, this is symbolic between the divide between consciousness and the unconscious, and the unconscious having very different sets of rules, very different sets of time, very different set of priorities. And so tonight I'm actually going to be talking about it's kind of an odd Jungian talk about relating to the unconscious. How do we relate to the unconscious? And I'll begin by talking about terminology. You might have heard the term unconscious and the term subconscious. And what's the difference between these two terms? Well, Freud and Jung both use the term unconscious. And in fact, they were critical of the term subconscious. Um, I, I think the way I would say it is that these two terms, in some sense, represent two different worldviews. And unconscious is associated more with what I would call the depth psychology worldview. As, as Freud said, ego is not master in its own house. That ego, ego role in life is to understand its relationship to this larger other, the unconscious, and the unconscious has a kind of irreducible otherness to it. Um, and so that there's always a relationship there. Um, subconscious, it seems to me, is more of a world that I would call the egoic world. You know, a world where basically ego's in charge. You know, I get to live my life. I get to do what I want to do. And, you know, yeah, they're, they're subconscious. There are these minor influences that pop up from time to time. But basically, I'm running the show. I'm calling the shots. You know, this kind of thing. 
And the fascinating thing about these two worldviews is that the former, what I call the depth psychology worldview, is really very much aligned with the worldviews of religions and spiritual traditions. Um, it, it's kind of ironic because, of course, the, the ancient Buddhists did not have our modern understanding of, of depth psychology and the unconscious, but really the, the, the precepts, the suppositions, the, the things that are encouraged in the Buddhist worldview very much put us in line with learning from our unconscious and being in a productive relationship with our unconscious. Certainly true of Buddhism and to, to a great extent true of many of the other wisdom traditions. Um, the egoic worldview is very much like the modern secular worldview. The modern secular worldview of, you know, I'm in charge, I'm calling all the shots, I get to choose my own happiness, you know, this kind of thing. And of course the paradox is that when we lead people to their own devices to choose their own happiness, usually they're not very happy. You know, so it's almost a paradox of the unconscious that the more, the more we deny it, the more we try to pretend it's not there, I'm running the show, the more it's actually controlling us, you know, like it, it's almost this paradox, um, really if you think about the, the sum total of your life, all the relationships, all the situations, you know, so much of that is influenced or, or even created by the unconscious, you know, by, you know, and it plays out through subtle cueing that we not, might not even be aware that we're giving and, you know, things that we're searching for that we not, we're not even realizing we're searching for, all these ways that it plays out. Um, certainly the patterns that we find ourselves in again and again and again, um, very much patterns from the unconscious. Now, of course, the egoic worldview is very much a worldview of blame and attacking other people, you know, or victim status. It's, it's very much a worldview of, um, you know, extreme idealization, idealization of people or events or ideas or, you know, and, and sometimes a quick, you know, an, an instant switch to something's ideal, to something's horrible, you know, this kind of thing. Um, all the projections are going outward. And so the, the first part of moving toward... Uh, a healthier relationship with the unconscious is simply taking responsibility, a sense of self-responsibility and self-honesty. And I think I'll pause here to say that anyone who has been doing spiritual work for years or personal growth work for years, you probably already have a reasonably healthy relationship with your unconscious. You're probably not even aware that you have, you know, in other words, it, it's a natural byproduct of of doing the work, you know. And how can I say, P part of the unconscious, you might say the, the very surface level of the unconscious are all the things that I'm perfectly capable of doing that, that maybe I just don't realize I could be doing, you know. And, and sometimes a, a certain amount of personal growth is just realizing, oh, you know, I, 
I can do this, or I can look at this situation this way, that sort of thing. Um, a deeper, a deeper kind of growth happens when we can listen deeply to ourselves. Of course, this happens in meditation. This happens in journaling. Um, any kind of um, any kind of practice of having quiet reflection. Um, and in Jungian terms, the unconscious is is eager to talk to us. The unconscious is eager to guide us and to to present us with what we need for our next stage of growth. You know, and it it's really a matter of are we willing to listen? You know, and it's ironic. Sometimes it's it's by committing ourselves to something outwardly, some sort of cause or something bigger than ourselves outwardly. You know, of course, when I'm committing myself to something outwardly, there's a way that I'm also committing myself to my unconscious in some ways, you know. But in committing myself to somewhat outwardly, then there's sacrifices I'm making and virtues I'm developing. And that's all, you know, part of how the unconscious hooks us into growth, you know. And I'll say, how, how can I say? Part of listening is also just this absolute willingness to be unbelievably candid with ourselves, unbelievably honest with ourselves, you know? And it, I think it's a, a good question for all of us, like how honest can we be with ourselves, you know? Um, because often if we're quiet, if we're facing a quandary, if we're quiet, we'll get an answer from inside. But sometimes that answer is not something we want to hear, you know? <laughs> Some, sometimes, sometimes the next stage of growth is the thing that seems most intolerable to us, you know? And it, it's a paradox. Um, can we be that committed to our own truth? that we're, we're willing to, to follow it, you know, regardless of where it leads us, you know. At one point, Gandhi said, there is no God higher than truth, you know, can we really honor that? Now, related to listening to oneself, um, another great way to get information about oneself is by inviting feedback. And at one point I was, um, I've shared with some of you that I was part of this meditation group for 20 years, COF. Um, and I can, I can talk a lot about COF. It's a South American path. But one of the things that was really big in COF, one of their really big emphasis was that if I'm a spiritual person, I have to be open to feedback. You know, and the, the idea is, you know, I might be meditating and seeing the face of the Buddha every day, but if I'm walking through the world and people think I'm a jerk, then I'm not a spiritual person, you know? Like, I, I need to be curious about how am I landing with others? How, you know, what kind of impact am I having on others? How was that? How did that feel? You know, that sort of thing. Inviting feedback and, you know, being willing to hear feedback. Um, even unsolicited feedback, you know? And, and it, you know, sometimes unsolicited feedback is a lot about the person who's delivering it. It doesn't have, you know, it, it's not, it's not 100% about me, but often with unsolicited feedback, 5% of it is about me. 
And it's important to, to tune into what is that 5%, you know? Um, this is where having dear friends and, and lovers, you know, of course, is very helpful. Um, they're always going to tell you, you know, a really good friend is always going to tell you the stuff that you don't want to hear, you know? And, um, and it's the paradox that at any point in life, the feedback that we most need is usually something we don't really want to hear, you know? And so part of the discipline of feedback is really being open to all feedback, even the stuff that it's like, oh, I, I really don't want to hear that, you know, this kind of thing. Now, one of the ways that the unconscious sometimes plays out, and I, th- I think it does this a little bit for all of us, is in terms of something, a pattern called self-sabotage. And this is one that's often hard to see on our own. It's often one that we only only get a glimpse of when, when someone looking from the outside can point it out. Um, but it's, it's often a challenging thing, you know, and a, a couple of times I've, I've tried to indicate to someone I saw a pattern of self-sabotage and I've gotten the response, well, I'm, I'm not sabotaging myself, you know, I'm not, I wouldn't do that to myself, you know, and it's funny because ego doesn't sabotage itself. Ego just does what it does, but there are unconscious cross-currents to what ego is doing, you know, um... You know, and it, it's it's often a very good question. If if my ego, if I'm trying to have success in any realm of my life, and and again and again I'm running into failure, locked door, failure, you know, this sort of thing. What's going on there, and what what what's the deeper lesson that I should be drawing from within myself? You know. I'll say in some ways, the deeper levels of relating to the unconscious have to do more with yielding and surrender and letting go of, of control issues. Um, I often say that, that in this society, we, we tend to confuse power and control. Power is what makes us more grounded with what aligns us more with our core Control comes out of our woundedness. You know, they're very different. And often, often the journey toward power, toward true power, is letting go of control. You know. Um, It's funny, with the deeper stages of growth, it... It's so different from the earlier stages of growth. Earlier stages of personal growth often are things we have to do with effort and trying and building the good habit and forcing things and using perseverance and all, you know, and and that's wonderful at a certain stage in life. Um, Often the deeper layers of growth are about letting go, surrendering, allowing, relaxing into who we are rather than achieving who we are, you know. And of course, all of this is very much supported. All of this is supported by Buddhism. It's supported by the other wisdom traditions. Um, Jung talked about the whole of the psyche. He used the term the self. 
and the self ultimately has a numinous quality to it. Um, this, the self, in, in many ways, is, our, is the image of our wholeness. And I think the way I would say it is, just as the eye is the organ that apprehends light, our wholeness is the organ that apprehends the sacred. And just as the experience of the eye is not really different from, from the experience of light, the experience of the self is not really different from the experience of the sacred, you know. Now, you know, depth psychology starts with, stops with our own unconscious, our own, our own self. The mystical traditions would go even further. You know, ultimately Hinduism would say that beneath any kind of unconscious that I have, the layers go down and down to Atman. Atman, true self, which is coextensive with Brahman, cos- cosmic consciousness. That's, that's the the ultimate correlation in, uh, in Hinduism or, or in Buddhism, you know, beneath everything else, it's just the Buddha nature, you know? Um, how can I say all of us are just on our journey to wholeness and we'll, we'll find out when we get there. Yeah. <laughs> but I will at this point share the quote sheet. So I will share it. Let's see. Can I do this on Zoom? Okay. I think I shared the quote sheet there. And then uh, is Liz in the room? Does she uh, have a quote sheet to hand out to the roomies? Seems to be a little bit of confusion. Is it? Is there a stack somewhere up? Oh, all right. Well, who knows? All right. Tell you what. Um, the quote sheet, of course, will be available when I post the talk online, but... Um, Oh, do we, we, was there success in the room? Okay, very good. All right. And, and Zoomies, you're all able to, to read the quote sheet? Very good. So, some quotes from Freud, Jung, and, and Marion Woodman at the top. So, Freud, I've already read the first one, Ego is not master in its own house. The second one, psychoanalysis is in essence a cure of love. That one is fascinating because love is so healing, you know, friendship, romantic love, all kinds of love are so healing. Um, and really, when we have compassion with ourselves, with whatever we find in ourselves, that's how healing unfolds. A more challenging one from Freud, people do not really want freedom because freedom involves responsibility and most people are frightened of responsibility. A little more confronting there. From Jung, several quotes from Jung. 
Your visions will become clear only when you can look into your own heart. Who looks outside dreams, who looks inside awakes. Another one from him. One must bear in mind that there's a considerable difference between perfection and completion. And I think the way I would say that is... There's a tendency in the egoic mind to create otherness. You know, both, you know, and when it's really strong, I'm dealing with lots of external others, other groups of people that I'm othering, as well as internal otherness. And perfectionism often is about having to, you know, privilege some parts of who I am and reject or other other parts of who I am. And the logic of healing, and the logic, certainly the logic of Buddhism, is about breaking down any kind of otherness, breaking down any kind of external otherness, you know, having universal compassion to all others, and also having compassion to whatever arises within, you know. And so again, there's, there's tremendous love, tremendous caring, the caring that goes across otherness, um, which is really characteristic not only of Buddhism, but very much of Christianity as well. Another quote, the greatest and most important problems in life are, are all, in a certain sense, insoluble. They can never be solved, but only outgrown. A famous one from Jung, the meeting of two personalities is like the contact of two chemical substances. If there is any reaction, both are transformed. You know, it's very interesting to think of the the friendships we have in our life and how we've been how we've been transformed by each one of them. You know, how we've really been touched. In all chaos, there is cosmos in all disorder, a secret order. In fact, that's even true mathematically, but that, that's another story. A longer one from Jung. We must be able to let things happen in the psyche. For us, this is actually an art of which very few people know anything. Consciousness is forever interfering, helping, correcting, negating, and never leaving the simple growth of psychic processes in peace. It would be simple enough if only simplicity were not the most difficult of all things. This wonderful, succinct one from Jung. We meet ourselves time and again in a thousand disguises on a path on the path of life. You know, and sometimes it's a great, a great question to ask in any situation. What what part of my psyche are the people that I'm dealing with holding for me? You know, or representing. Another. Funny one, you meet your destiny on the road you take to avoid it. (laughs) A more inspiring one, synchronicity is an ever-present reality for those who have eyes to see. And then one that I know that I've quoted before, the experience of the self is always a defeat for the ego. A few from Marion Woodman. I talked about Marion Woodman a couple weeks ago. Some of these quotes will be the same, but some are new. The psyche does not work on the base of causality as history does. It does not respect temporal cause and effect patterns of everyday life. 
and again, this is this is this whole idea represented in the fairy world where they you think an afternoon has passed and it's really twenty years. A very different sense of time, very different sense of rules. The individual psyche is a microcosm of the cultural macrocosm. This is something Marion Woodman has talked about, and it's also something Eric Erickson has talked about. That really, the the splits that exist in the external world as we experience them are re- are reflected in splits within ourselves. And healing the splits in ourselves allows us to contribute something to the world. Another one, self-knowledge comes through relationship with and commitment to something or, or someone beyond oneself, beyond the gratification of one's personal needs. The truth is most of us are where we are partly through overwhelming circumstance that have landed us here and partly because this is where we want to be. 75% one way, 65% the other way. If we see the opposites in ourselves, we are less likely to judge and blame others. So really this, this profound sense of everything about my, my life situation, the unconscious has a hand in making it that way. A longer one, if we as a collective continue to be driven by projections and splits between disembodied spirit and unconscious matter, we can never be present to each other beyond the demands of an ego that is trapped in a one-sided need for order and control. When conscious matter becomes a vessel that can receive spirit, this joining together can bring us to a new level of consciousness. The ego can stand in a creative relationship to the self. To stand in a in relationship to the self is to be totally present to oneself. When we are present to ourselves, we are present to others in a totally new way. In the world of the self, we meet all those of whom we are part, whose hearts we have touched. There is no aloneness, only presence. There is no egoism involved here, no need to win or lose, no need to control. The projections have been withdrawn and reclaimed as parts of ourself. Only when this happens is genuine relationship possible. So a very inspiring quote, I would, I would say Marion Williamson is really giving a, a kind of big picture of um, the whole healing process there. And I, I, the only criticism I have of the quote is if it gives people the impression of, I'm not ready to go and connect with others until I take care of all my own stuff first, you know, which, which I think is a big mistake. You know, we need each other. We need to connect with others and, you know. I, you know, with whatever set, whatever insight and whatever messiness I have right now, I connect with others, you know, through that love and connection, I grow a little more then I can heal myself a little more. We sort of ratchet ourselves into healing through connection. Like a river, the individuation process falls a natural flow, which Jung perceived as a natural gradient toward holiness, toward wholeness. A little interesting Freudian slip there. Um, And again, in the Jungian sense, there's the the psyche, the the self is nudging us toward wholeness all the time. All the the frustrations, all the the annoying kinds of people we deal with over and over again, it's because the psyche is, is trying to encourage us to grow at some edge, you know.
Another quote from her, knowing that someone is moving you, whether you understand it or not, is an awesome experience. That non-rational knowing, which is being known, which is what brings the heights and depths together. In that wholeness, healing lies. Every cell remembers its health. Without ego interference, psyche perceives light in matter. And finally, from Marion Williamson, the more you work with your dreams and your unconscious and honor it, the more you understand it and it understands you. When you develop a relationship with your psyche this way, you begin to carry that energy into life in your relationships. Then an assortment of quotes from other folks that kind of resonate with these topics. From Henri Frederick Amiel, self-interest is but the survival of the animal in us. Humanity only begins for man with self-surrender. J.S.B. Haldane said, Reality is not only stranger than we suppose, but stranger than we can suppose. Thich Nhat Hanh said, People have a hard time letting go of their suffering. Out of fear of the unknown, they prefer suffering that is familiar. Jack Cornfield said, Peace requires us to, to surrender our illusions of control. David White said, What conversations in my life, just by holding them, enliven me and make me larger? Who in my life makes me bigger than myself? And who in my life makes me smaller? These are all incredibly rich questions. Adi Ashanti said, quite simply, whatever you think you all are, that's not it. (laughs) And finally, Sharon Alder said, the only real conflict you will have in life won't be with others, but with yourself.